Hello everyone and welcome to our new episode of Timo and Julian Talk Philosophy. Today we want to talk about art. Hello Julian, Bonjour, welcome. Hello. Um, it is uh, we picked a very complicated subject if I can say so uh, because um, and I want to start our conversation with the following phrase. Everything it is art, but nothing is art. It's a very interesting phrase. And I, I think to get a starting point, because it is so, because it is such a huge complex of topic, we should go first at the way of where art started. So the interesting thing is that art for the ancient Greek had a completely different meaning than for people today. Like the ancient Greek, they had the word techne, when you read Plato or Aristotle, you really you, you, you see this term, techne, and it has a completely different meaning than we have of art today. So what was the original meaning of art? The original meaning of art is, as we know it from techniques, really, it was, it was not a technical stuff. It was a technical knowledge. People who had a certain knowledge, who were able to have a deeper insight of something, they were skilled in an art, in a technique. So at first, the original meaning of art in the Western sense, in the sense we know it in Europe, it came from the way that people were skilled in something. That is where art came from. However, in modern times, we have a completely different idea of art. And there are also art evolved into different and I think cool. that nowadays um, I really try to think what is the most general perception of art. I mean, those points, those characteristics that usually every person, and I'm not talking about art critics or people that had an uh, education that they went to art school. Let's say the commoner, the, uh, your let's say neighbor, your aunt, your sister, uh, people that usually come in contact with art, but they are not artists uh, themselves. I think there are a few like base, very basic characteristics that people usually associate with art. The first one is it has to be aesthetic. It has to be beautiful. It has to be pretty. Yes. Yes. Uh, another thing, and this, uh, these points are debatable, but I will just uh, put them uh, there and we will discuss them point by point. So the first is aesthetic. It has, to be, it has to be visually pleasing. It has to be beautiful. Um, the second Actually, one- very important because aesthetics plays also an important role, in, important role in philosophy. So the first question that we should talk about aesthetics is, is aesthetics something subjective or objective? Is there something like an objective aesthetics? Um, this uh, point is extremely debatable because uh, the general perception uh, of the masses about that, it, uh, they usually, when we say aesthetic, they usually kind of, uh, directly correlate that with being beautiful and beautiful usually means something that kind of uh, gives you a pleasing sensation something that usually doesn't challenge you in any way it is uh, uh, because there are forms of art 
even uh, with the more traditional uh, types of art, and we are talking here specifically about visual art, that usually depict scenes that are uh, cruel, that are dark, that are sinister. Uh, it's not that those types of, let's say, visual representation are not artistic, but the general perception is that art should be pretty and it should uh, give you a type of um, visual satisfaction. And many times the most general perception of art is like, it, it should not challenge this like, um, uh, the status quo when it comes to beauty. It has to be very conventionally beautiful. It's actually very interesting because Kant, he believed in a kind of a objective aesthetics. To him, it was like that something which is aesthetically pleasant, that, is, as, 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 that has an aesthetics, is a, everyone is able to perceive this aesthetics. For, to him, it is like something that is objective. Uh, on the other hand, it does not mean that everybody has to like it or to please it. So it's it's a kind of it's like yes, there is an objective aesthetics, but on the other hand, so that everyone has the ability to see that aesthetics. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean that everyone likes it because you know he he struggled with the subject object uh, with the diversification, and I think it's very interesting. And I heard uh, and I heard uh, a sentence from. David Gelurenta, who was a guest in, uh, in an episode of Uncommon Knowledge, uh, which is associated to the Hoover Institute. And he said that as more time he spends on, on thinking of aesthetics, as more he thinks that aesthetics is something objective. And he made an example with Michelangelo, that when people look at Michelangelo, people look at if they are stunned, they think that it's beautiful. So they actually, he thinks there is something like a common, a general aesthetic. On the other hand, I think we already know from last time the concept from our first episode, the concept of constructivism, that every person constructs his uh, reality in his mind because everyone has a perception on his own. Everyone has his own eyes. I, everyone I think that aesthetics, and you, you pointed out very well, um, like, does it do we can we actually talk about a very objective point from which we can analyze how beautiful is a work of art? Because at the end of the day, beauty is also um, in many ways uh, culturally determinated because certain cultures have to a certain degree different views of what it is beautiful and what it's not beautiful. One a very general example would be if you would take, uh, let's say the interior design of a Western American house with the interior design of a, let's say house from India from let's say in both cases from middle class families or upper middle class families, you'd see that Usually in the West and especially in American culture, there is a huge disdain for everything that is very colorful or that is full of patterns of geometry. Everything has to be 
in uh, pale colors. It has to uh, it has to have clean outlines. It has to be functional. It has to be uh, to have a, a generally uncluttered aspect, as you'd have a interior from India. You see a lot of decoration, a lot of wall colors, a lot of patterns, and so on. So uh, usually, uh, when we are talking about beauty, uh, their uh, culture plays a huge role in the way in which we have our own perception about what it is beautiful and what is ugly. In are you sure that we can terms. still say this today? Because I. Because as we pointed out last time, we are becoming a cosmopolitan, we are more cosmopolitan than, than maybe ever before. And uh, we know how people in the different areas in the world live. And when we see them, the way they live, for example, on a, in a magazine or in a documentary, and we like the way that, and we will say like, oh, I want to, next time I renovate my, my apartment, I want to have this design too. So aren't we today, individualistic that even it doesn't matter anymore whether it is a western american or whether it is an indian house but that people are so individualistic that they have their own taste and their own idea of what is beautiful i i agree on that but we cannot um, uh, we cannot uh, say that culture uh, like regional family uh, the culture of someone's family the cultural background, it still plays a big role because we didn't get uh, in our history to the point in which we are so internationalized in which we have a very uh, homogenous um, perception about beauty. We, uh, we can still find a lot of variety and we usually are talking about let's say a more international perspective on certain topics in more in, uh, industrialized and rich nations because in many parts of the world, many communities are still quite isolated and they retain their traditional way of seeing beauty. Now going to the second point that I identified when it comes to what people in the most general sense possible uh, think as being a basic characteristic of uh, art is the fact it's, it needs to be intentional. And this usually uh, to give a very good example of what I mean. With wait, wait, with intentional. Yes, I mean, you want to give an example of what intentional is, I can understand. But the first thing is when I just hear the phrase, it has to be intentional. I would say like, yes, 200 years ago, it was like this. But again, today we have, uh, we have many like artists who start to create their things without any pre-thought. They just have the idea in one second, they think like, oh, I could use this stuff and make something and they just start doing it. So this is already intentional. Is because he had the intention to use the stuff and create something. Is this already intentional? I think that is still intentional because uh, when, when I'm talking about intentional, the, the scenario that you gave is that a person 
uh, regardless, uh, they don't have a very, uh, you are talking about, uh, more about the fact that they don't have a very clear idea of the artistic object that they will create. They are more going, you know, um, um, they are creating it uh, as they work uh, through, but they still have at the beginning the intention of creating art, even if they don't have a very clear idea of what the, artics, the artistic object will be in the end. I'm talking more about the scenario in which if somebody walks with, I don't know, two buckets of paint and they uh, trip and the paint like uh, spills uh, on the wall and creates like uh, a very abstract uh, pattern, can that be considered art? Because it, uh, the person that created it to say so, uh, he or she didn't have the intention of creating art. It was more of an accident, but is art something that is outside of the sphere of, uh, of intention or lack thereof, or is it more the thing of how we perceive an object to be art or not to be art? So in your kind of definition, even the most anarchist form of art, which is probably Dadaism, which pops up in my mind, because they reject all kinds of formalism, they accept all kinds of of creating with, with stuff and patterns and make things they, they are intentional because they have the intent to get over formalized art and use everything uh, to, and stick it together. So even though the things they put together are maybe uh, coincidental because they, they just found these things and thought like I put them together, the intent to create an art, to create a, a masterpiece with coincidental findings it's an intentional art because they had the intention to do such a masterpiece. Yeah, they had intention at the beginning, even though some aspects uh, uh, that uh, usually are related to the final form of art that they created may have um, come into existence as an accident along the way, along the workflow they started out with the clear intention of creating an artistic object, regardless what happens along the way. Okay, that's interesting because you said it's something that happens without intention, like you spill some color and it's just there. I mean, you can make an art out of it by looking at it like, oh, I spilled this color, but hey, I could do something out of this. Now that I already spilled the color at the wall, I could paint something at the wall with this color. In that moment, you are doing artist, artistic uh, work because in that moment you have an intention. Even if even if it happens by accident that you come to do this, you have the intention to make yeah, something exactly. out. Yeah, exactly. The intention came along the way because we can have the scenario of you starting out with the clear intention of creating art, but we can have the second scenario as you put it with somebody that spills something uh, on a wall and uh, says, oh, this can, I can create, uh, um, I can put some extra lines and curves and uh, make this um, spot into a tree or into a flower or into, I don't know, a very elaborate geometrical pattern. Even though 
he didn't start it with the intention of creating art. The intention um, kind of uh, um, kind of uh, became the result of him uh, kind of getting the idea that there is cert a certain artistical potential in that accident. But now we have an interesting problem. It is like, imagine a person has the intention to do something, uh, like um, writing something on, on a wall. So I just want to tell my, uh, my audience, please don't do it without anyone's consent. Don't pray or tag something on anyone's wall. But imagine a person has the, has the consent to do art on the wall, and that person just, uh, just writes some, just sprays or writes some words on it, with some black ink, and we and he has an intention, and to him it is art maybe. But then we look at, at these crazy words, uh, which just look uh, look weirdly sprayed. We would say like that isn't beautiful. That just looks like someone uh, destroyed yeah, this wall. Yeah, that looks like vandalism. Yeah, <laughs> that looks like vandalism. So please don't do vandalism, everyone. Yeah, it's just I, for our I mean, example. I think in many countries is uh, like illegal to begin with. So yes, it's not. Yes. <laughs> so, so we imagine now that a person has a consent to vandalize that that place. So we, in our in our perception, it's vandalism, but that person was allowed to 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 spray it. Now the question is, is this art? Because the person had the intention and even the, the, even was allowed to do so, but it looks like vandalism. And is this, is this art? I mean, isn't this really because we don't have the thought that it's beautiful? People I rather feel this, ashamed. I think this, and you made such a good point because I think this brings us to the third point and we will discuss what you said. Uh, the third point would be the fact that art should uh, is usually correlated with uh, elaborate techniques. You know, you, you need to have uh, to master a technique and to do it in a very refined ways. So this would be something like when you are doing oil painting, you need to master the technique of oil painting, or, or when you do uh, uh, modeling with mud, or when you are sculpting in stone, you need to understand the technique. And when we are saying technique, it usually, as the word kind of uh, suggests, you need to have actually technical abilities because at the end of the day, sculpting something in stone uh, requires technical abilities. You need to know the um, uh, the the properties of the stone that you are using. If the stone that you are using is good for the type of artistic work that you want to create, you need to know what tools to use. You know how to use the tools and the actual techniques. How you do certain uh, shapes and patterns in the stone by using the tools that are available to you and yes so actually said, actually this is what we started with the ancient greek definition like the person knows what he's doing and he has a system of doing this so he has a technique he has a techne that what was that what was art for the ancient greek that artistic ability so this is like the third point in our modern perception of art that you have this technique on the other hand, some kinds of art evolved out of breaking the technique. I mean, some 
you know, like again, with, like with Max Ernst, one of the famous Dadaists who later uh, was a, had a kind of surrealism. His kind of surrealism was actually a scandal. People said, like, what is this? So because he broke the rules and he formed a new technique by breaking the rules. So here again, we, we have a bit a cleavage between uh, how much formalism, what, which kind of formalism and teaching place inside art. I think that usually people, when they are saying, uh, you know, this idea that art needs to be elaborate, uh, it usually uh, kind of is also correlated with a very, let's say, exaggerated perception of art, and I will explain very briefly what I'm, uh, what I want to say with this. At the end of the day, as you have, let's say, a visual art, and as you have music, because music is also like a form of art, you can have good paintings and bad paintings, but because a painting would be considered bad, you know, maybe the technique is not done well. Maybe, I don't know, it is sloppy. It is aesthetically unpleasing and so on. At the end of the day, it's still a painting. And a bad song at the end of the day is still a song. Because what I see with many people, and this is like a logical error in my opinion, is the fact that when they see an artistic object that they consider to be ugly or unpleasant, pleasing or not to be extremely evolved when it comes to the technique that it was used for creating it, it's like, oh, that's not art. No, it's still art, but it, it can be bad art because art, it's not like you can have only good art. You can have also bad art, but bad art, it's still art, you know? <laughs> yes, actually, this is, is an important point in, in my theory. I said, I said, I think it, I proposed it in 2000. 16, I, I said like, ugliness is the antidote to subjective beauty. So, you know, I, I based this idea on Plato. You know, Plato said, uh, the beauty in every beautiful body is the same. So in other words, I, I actually, I, I mentioned it rather on people, like there's no ugly person or a beautiful person because everyone has the same amount of beauty. I mean, because every person is beautiful by being a person. And you know, and I said to say, and I mean, we can say the same on art. We can say like ugliness, this could be the antidote to subjective beauty because on the one hand, something which might be ugly for some people might be beautiful to others. And this way by allowing, allowing ugliness to enter the artistic, artistic approach, we can get to beauty itself because there is not only the we aren't because we are not anymore on the on the level of subjective beauty of what a few people say what is beautiful, but we get to a higher understanding of what beauty could be. What do you I think actually, of this? You know, you said very well uh, when you said ugliness, and uh, I mean, I also think that uh, uh, the idea of ugliness is very debatable and subjective, but. Uh, when uh, we are talking about the most traditional and conventional and let's say popular forms of art, you know, among the most general type of population, you know, along the masses, uh, you always see like very conventional types of beauty that are presented. But 
at, at the end of the day, art is not only about beauty, it's also about message. And many times art, because art is a reflection of the human experience, uh, we have a lot of instances in history in which art was um, kind of used as, let's say, a tool in order to shock people or to create, um, let's say, a type of social change or to bring awareness to certain dysfunctionalities that were uh, in society. And many times when you want to bring uh, to captivate the attention of people, you will never do that by creating art that is a, the direct representation of the uh, status quo when it comes to beauty. Because people will say, oh, it's what we expected. But when you want to create a very strong message in art, you usually need to go against the uh, flow. You need to create something yes. that is shocking, you know. So, so messages can be very ugly. If you want to transmit a message, sometimes you have to be ugly to because sometimes it's simply it's because truth hurts. And sometimes you have to show people that to bring an awareness to a certain truth only by by using by showing them that this is something ugly so that people I don't think it's necessarily even like the idea of ugly. I can give an example. You can have like in a conservative, in a socially conservative country, you will have like a art gallery, yes? And you will have a painting with two lesbian women that are kissing. And it can be a gorgeous painting. It can also be a painting that uh, the, two, the two human characters that are represented are very conventionally beautiful, yes? But the act, the message that they send, you know, that of, let, let's say, same-sex uh, love is extremely scandalous. So the painting, in uh, when it comes to the representations, uh, can be uh, conventionally beautiful, but it can scandalize through the message or through the gestures and postures of the characters or of the elements that it represents. Yes, we, we know this, for example, from Courbet. He had his famous painting, L'Origine du Monde, translated the origin of the world, origin of life, and he depicted a naked woman, I mean, on, on his painting. And today, in Western society, we are literally over, overflowed with, 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 sexual, uh, with sexual symbolism in advertisement, in magazines, everywhere. So today, it seems to be normal to a certain degree, or at least it is nothing that is too scandalized, but back at his time, it was a really, really, really great scandal uh, that, that he that he dared to to depict a naked woman. Uh, so he so uh, so we, we can see also this this change. Uh, but on the other hand, we can see like you can you can have something like a mass consumption, like we have it today with these magazines where you can see naked people. It's nothing artistic in itself anymore. On the one hand, because it just you are you are you find it everywhere in in television and and. So it's it's something it's something on the one hand. On the other hand, back then, because it was something very rare or something that was very well thought, because that, that man, of course, also had to think of how to depict this in a, to make it uh, aesthetically beautiful. So that person had uh, 
there was more intent or more intention behind it. Can we say this? Um, yeah, um, usually I think in this like um, quality with a lot of, with what you said, I think there is a huge misconception with the general public in which they kind of have this prejudice in which art should not be used for, um, let's say, political purposes or for, let's say, any type of social movement, like art should be done for the sake of art. And this is um, a contradiction because always art will represent a certain reflection of society. You cannot, uh, it's not, uh, it, when we are talking about the purpose of art, some people kind of have this idea of everything it is in a type of vacuum and um, art is kind of a, a thing that doesn't correlate with nothing it's just there to be beautiful and that's about it and this is not the case because always art and especially in uh, let's say in um, I don't know when we are talking about the Middle Ages or even let's say the 18th, 19th century, always art, uh, art was usually, and especially the fine arts, were usually a type of um, reflection of the tastes of the higher classes. They always uh, uh, used art in order to put their idea of beauty of aesthetics on a pedestal and let's say in contrast with the fine arts which were like the product of the intellectuals of the higher classes of the nobility you had peasant art which was um let's say um, with quotation marks a uh, inferior form of art because it wasn't made by people that were artists uh, as let's say a full-time job. They uh, were like occasionally artists and they usually put various, uh, they turned into art various things that were utilitarian in nature. Let's say a spoon, you know, they decorated, they painted a spoon, they painted their cart, they painted, I don't know, the, um, the woodwork from the windows. So that is more utilitarian, like peasant art is more utilitarian. And uh, let's say the fine arts were more message based in their nature. That's interesting. So if you go back to your first quote that you brought in your, your first idea, art is everything and nothing how can we put this thought into what we discussed now? Oh, I, it really correlates with this. Um, and I think many people will get mad at me by saying this with this very snobbish and very exclusive club perception that many have of art. I mean, uh, when we are talking about art, uh, we usually have two scenarios. Either everything is art, you know, from like the painted spoon that you will uh, see in a peasant house 
to I, I don't know a painting that is a black square, you know, on a white canvas to uh, I don't know uh, a pile of garbage in the corner of the room or so this is the uh, one uh, scenario A and scenario B is something that is extremely exclusive is something that only certain people if you have uh, the necessary schooling if you uh, go if you hang in the privileged uh, groups if you have usually the approval of academia and usually the intellectual class of a city of a country you can call yourself an artist and what you create is considered art uh, and there are like two extremes because uh, usually when it comes to defining art, people, uh, I, and I, I especially think nowadays because I follow a lot of artists, it's either, you know, I can put like a bag of trash in the corner of the room and call it art, or uh, you need to have something that is extremely exquisite, you know, uh, very, highly um, uh, artistic object that is very refined when it comes to its technique. It has to have a type of historical background. It has to have, it, uh, it usually needs to come with a cultural baggage. And only in that way, that artistic object can be labeled as art. Interestingly, I think something that we have today that people in the past did not have is that huge possibility of participation. We can see participation and a kind of democratization in this, in this uh, subject because I make an example and I don't know if it's a good example because I only heard about this a few days ago by, by chance. It was actually um, there in the 1990s there, there was a Actually, it, it, the, the, the thing started in the 1980s. It was an idea when, when we, for the first time, had private TV, because before that, we only had public funded TV. And we, there was, in the 1980s, a private TV. And there was also the idea that we could have um, a kind of a channel where everybody could participate. They were called the open channels. Uh, and there was one channel in Berlin, the OKB, often the Canal Berlin. Uh, it, it was actually also very scandalous in content sometimes, but there was in the 1990s, there was one person, he called himself Michael Santosh. And he said, he called him, he was, he, he said that he's an artist and he had a TV show, Artists TV. And the funny thing about his show was actually that he wanted to talk with people about art, but uh, Michael Santosh, or by his, uh, by his actual name, he was called, he was Ismail Sakaya, so he had a Turkish roots, and actually his German was difficult to understand, very, very difficult to understand. So on the one hand, I've, some people say he didn't really know what he was talking about, and other people said he was not, he was not understandable. So on the one hand, it was very funny because he had a show about art, and it was you, you actually did not understand the artist, and but on the other hand, people could call him and could call in the show, and they had dialogues together. 
even though both seemingly did not understand each other always properly. I, so, I, I also, uh, you know, what you think is very interesting. I think that people, when it comes to this man that you are talking about, what I mean, uh, what I understand is that some people wanted to engage and some people yes, are there yes. and were very put off by him. Yes, the interesting thing is many people didn't understand what, what is actually his intent. What do he want? What does he want to represent? And honestly, I don't know his art. I have no idea about his art. Uh, but but I, what I think is it was very interesting that he wanted people to participate. That he wanted to talk with people about art. And through the fact the fact that he that his German was so poor attracted many people to watch it because people wanted to see like what is he doing there. And through this this project. Had a had a within Berlin within Berlin in the 1990s. He had a lot of attraction. I, I, I heard that even a 16-year-old girl once called and said, "I am a fan of your show because uh, you know you uh, you inspire me." Even though that even though that six I don't know if 16-year-old girl was interested in art or not, but she was fascinating by the way he did it. So on the so you can also communicate art. You can you can have a, he had an intention, so we can say that he had an intention to talk about art and through this intention and the possibility that everyone could call that person and engage I, I, the I communication. Think, uh, I usually see two like distinct things in like this case. One thing is uh, it correlates to an economical fact, uh, the fact that if we would say, I mean, if we all would agree on the fact that art is subjective and anybody can do art it basically kind of uh, we are saying that you cannot make a, a career out of art i mean an artist is not it's not he's not a professional i want to go to something different what i want to say is that in the past we could only go into a museum and look at the, at the product of an artist nowadays i mean back then in the 1990s this was revolutionary that you can call in, in. today we have we have uh, we have even the internet you can immediately contact a person so i think today the artist has more possibilities to connect with his audience than you had in the past and i think this is also something which has a participator participatory democratic uh, means because today everybody can give immediate feedback at the artist and it's not only a, a one way that the artist inspires others with his works but the artist also has a lot of environmental inputs so you get into a conversation into a discussion and i think that that is, that is the point what i wanted to, to say so on the, on the one hand in the past you, that you, you know someone selected the artist and said like this is in my collection and today if you are a good artist people can share your works they can share you online they can they, they, there's so much there's so much more so it's, it's not about whether he's a good artist or not i cannot judge his art as i said i don't know him i just heard of this few days ago and, and it was kind of fascinating for me that someone wanted to get into contact with others in the 1990s and said i choose an open channel open channel to get in touch with people to talk about art and to 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 get to get in contact with others who want to talk about art and so today that we have so much more possibilities than back in the 1990s and even before i think that art is not anymore a one way because back then in the very past you know people were happy when they were in some collections but they were probably far away 
So you were not right at the spot with the people who looked at your picture, not always. But today, you don't need to be in that in the museum at around in your in your town to receive a feedback and to receive uh, influences. And I think that this is, of course, also a way to change art, right? Um, art definitely changed a lot, and especially now with digitalization. I uh, totally agree on the fact that art is much more um, of a thing of participating. You know, uh, what you said about participating, uh, it reminded me a lot of, and she's very controversial, but she did this type of art, Yoko Ono. Yoko Ono, besides, you know, what she did in music, she was also um, um, visual artist. And she did a lot of um, art in which like people would, um, she would uh, bring a bag and uh, like two people will um, go inside the bag and the, uh, the audience, the people that were in the gallery like viewing the art had to imagine what was happening inside the bag. So uh, that, that is very uh, participatory because like uh, not the message of the artistic object is not, uh, let's say monopolized by the artist. It's more up to debate and it's more of a conversation between the artists and the people that come to view the art. Also, one thing that uh, I, uh, I kind of understand why some people, uh, some people that do art in a more traditional way uh, are kind of put off by the present context is the fact that if everybody can do art and if art is everything, you basically cannot be considered, uh, people could not, cannot uh, take you seriously as a professional, as, uh, as being a visual artist as a full-time job, as in the past, you know, in the Middle Ages. And from that point on, uh, there were like, painters that only did painting for a living. And they had a very well-defined uh, profession. And nowadays, if you kind of come and say, everybody can be an artist, it basically kind of dissolves this thing. And you say, you don't need any type of training to go in that field. And this is kind of a contrast with other fields, like with, let's say, becoming a uh, writer which writing can also be a form of art, but usually when, uh, if you talk with uh, people, more, a lot of people will agree on the fact that not everybody can do, uh, can write a book because you need a lot of training. But if you can say everybody can become an artist, automatically you kind of imply that there is no act you don't uh, need any actual skill to go in that field okay that's interesting so let's do a final summary to repeat what we learned today and to because i i think it's always important like to have a result chart in the end so that people can and have can have a summary like a like a result and that we have a kind of, of, uh, of give them some impulse, some input of what they can make their thoughts and continue their thoughts. Because yeah. of course, philosophy, it's re reasoning. We don't want to give a final answer, but we want to give an input, an impulse of some thoughts. So today we learned that the word art itself 
is was originally in the ancient Greek sense rather a knowledge and and a kind of skill techne something that we more that we more connect to technique today but the modern art itself it is it is broader and it has several aspects connected to it such as beauty and when we talk about beauty or aesthetics beauty might be a part of aesthetics as as we said beauty it might be something subjective or objective depending on which paradigm we use for example a constructivist will say that it is just, just something that happens in our mind so everyone has its own perception and an own an own reception of beauty on the other hand there are also objective theories which say that there is an actual beauty that is that everyone is theoretically able to grasp then we learned that art needs an intent so there art is always intentional even anarchist arts are intentional because breaking out of the rule or leaving all rules is an intention and in the same way something which might have been an accident in the first place it can become an art because one has the intention to make something out of this accident and in this way this creative artistic project begins then we have uh, said that the technique and the elaboration is of importance of course depending on which kind of school you adhere to so there are different forms of arts of course and different forms of techniques and depending on which kind of artistic work you do you might be limited to a set of rules to be an elaborative artist or painter when you will go to visual arts but on the other hand we have also seen that today art democratized and that participation is a part of this democratic process uh, which also leads to exchanges or where people participate in the artistic project such as with Yoko Ono or Michel Santosh who tried to put people inside the, art, the artistic project and to engage with people so through this through this digitalization also art has changed a lot and there is not only an exclusive circle of people who have the means to do so but people can become famous by sharing their art and if other people perceive it as something artistic they will probably like it and in this way uh, you can also make your art famous however in the past when there were artists who could live from their art and today of course through to the many different ways of art it is more difficult to make a living out of it and the question of course remains of whether everyone who says that he makes art whether this is really art or whether there should be certain standards that makes art to be art is there anything i forgot no i think you summarized everything very well and one one final uh, thing that i want to add as a, uh, as continuing what you already said is that nowadays uh, the fact is that the condition of many artists is way more precarious 
this is like uh, uh, it's like very truthful, and uh, I uh, I personally understand to a certain degree the frustration that uh, comes from one side of the artistic community. But I think that the disadvantages that are brought by, let's say, the liberalization of the artistic market can also have some beneficial aspects as many people that in the past could uh, would never have the possibility of displaying their art, lacking money to rent a gallery and so on. Nowadays have like the digital environment that can act as their gallery. So I think it also comes with, let's say at least a few positive points. Yes, thank you very much for today's discussion and thank you everyone for listening and see you next time. Bye-bye.